love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm your host, Haley Chura, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski, co-host and birthday queen. Uh, happy birthday, Alyssa. We're recording this on your actual birthday. That doesn't always happen. How's it going so far? Thanks, Haley. It's been a, a very, very productive day. So if people have been following me at all or kind of know my coach, Hilary Biscay, you will know that we are known for, well, Hillary is known for giving people birthday smash fests. Like you do, um, you know, some sort of fun workout based on the age you are turning. And I have definitely put a few of those under my belt through the years or like a hundred by hundred set in the pool or something like that. But Haley today it was a breather, like a change of pace. I actually had a rest day today on my birthday for my birthday smash, smash fest, which, you know, but of course there's like no, uh, no time for relaxing right now because it was like a productive day, writing athlete plans, podcasting. We've been on a little bit of a podcasting marathon, catching up from a weekend, um, doing some stuff with friends and things like that. So it, you know, I have to say, I didn't really miss my birthday smash fest and don't worry, everyone. Hillary has written me a really hard week of training up ahead. So I will be doing some smash festing later this week as I, uh, embrace my 37 year old body that I now have to do it all with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will, I'm so glad I get to chat with you on your birthday and I get to like tell you somewhat like over video chat, happy birthday. So I'm glad you get to celebrate, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to celebrate and sometimes it's, uh, you know, hundred, 100 swimming. And sometimes it is hopefully getting off a call a little bit early and, uh, enjoying some, uh, chicken parm. I think that's yeah. on the menu for tonight, <laughs> right? Yes. Good old, I mean, you know, tons of options here where I live. And uh, Are you going to do, do you do a cake? Are you going to do a cake or dessert? Do you have any plans for that? Uh, we have some ice cream in the freezer. I do the grocery shopping, so I don't think I picked anything up. And we were like literally gone till late last night um, for a friend's wedding and seeing other friends on Sunday. So, I mean, it's just been a whirlwind. And so unless Matt has something up his sleeve, which he's been at work all day, and then he just took Max to obedience class. So I don't think um you know and then i think he's going to be like on task to get the takeout home quickly so but we have ice cream we have snickers or maybe cookie dough ice cream in the fr fr freezer Ooh, which is good and, that works yeah and i think we'll probably have some like rosé like a nice little treat you know it's rosé weather here in new hampshire <laughs> just live Very large nice. Haley. live at large i mean i'm all for like celebrating being alive every single day and so that's i mean i have cake on like random tuesdays all the time so i think that you know, sometimes it's, it's marking a special occasion. Sometimes it's just marking, you know, a, a day, but I, um, I'm happy for you making it to 37. That's really an accomplishment. I know I'm here for a month and then you get to join me Haley. But, um, so I did want to ask you actually this week, because a couple weeks ago you talked about one of the, the, like, you know, pool struggles you were having in your town. And so I was hoping you could give our listeners maybe an update 
they could get some insight into your life. Like, are you driving back and forth, commuting to the longer pool? How's that going? How's it with your sanity? Like, what's your pool status? Because we need Haley Chura, super swimmer, to maintain that status too. Oh, am I just going to find out like how long I can hold on to it without no swimming? Yeah, um, that, that actually would be a fun experiment, but no. I mean, that might be what's happening. No. So <laughs> I, uh, I have been driving to Butte, Montana, um, which is about 80 miles away twice a week. Uh, so I've been able to carpool a little bit and swim there. They have a very nice YMCA pool. It's actually like, it's unnerving how nice everyone is there, Alyssa. Like the person at the front desk is nice. The lifeguards are super nice. The One of the days I actually, I first jumped in, I jumped in with another man and I was like, can I, can I share a lane with you? And he was like, absolutely. And I was like, wow, because usually people do not want to share a lane with me, but for good reason. I'm not, I mean, like, you know, it depends on what I'm doing, but, and I wasn't swimming super hard that day, but it was just like, um, it's so wild. A woman in the locker room said, um, that she was proud of me and this other woman who, you know, for driving that far. I mean, so it's actually been like wild. Like they're so nice. Um, so I don't know what the, what's in the water at the Butte YMCA, but it's, you know, but drink maybe. it up. Know. Yeah. Take exactly. some gulps while you're there. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so that's been twice a week. And then actually the city of Bozeman, I've been to a couple, I went to a city commissioner's meeting and I was with, uh, Vanessa Forster and Grace Cassidy, two other athletes. And I told them they had one job, which was to not let me talk. And I talked and then I got quoted in the paper and I'm like, Oh, but okay. The reason I did was because, um, there were so many high schoolers there talking about like what the pool meant to them. And a couple of them I knew, and they were sitting in front of me and they were like, go up, go up and talk, go up and talk. So I got peer pressured by, um, some high schoolers. And so I did. And then, um, I went to a smaller user group city meeting last week, with a couple of their lap swimmers. And, and I feel like the city is actually trying really hard. Um, so they have opened the, our outdoor pool. We have an outdoor pool here. It's 25 yards. It is typically probably upper eighties. Um, you know, the pool Fahrenheit temperature. So it's really hard and it usually doesn't have lane lines and it was built in like 1940s. And so it's very old. And so they did open it and they put in some like ropes to kind of make some lane lines. And I think that I'm hopeful they're going to keep try to keep the water temperature a little bit lower. So I think that that is actually useful for like aerobic swimming. It's really hard to do like a workout in there because lanes are narrow and six lanes. And like the Bozeman pool is an incredibly heavily utilized pool. Like I never, ever would like get my own lane swimming there. And so um, it's, you know, uh, large swimming community all in a very, very small space now. So we're just doing the best we can. I'm kind of taking it one week at a time. Again, I've been in more involved in civic stuff than I would like to be. And for the most part, I'm somewhat optimistic that it, you know, they are working as hard as they can, but it is like a, a tough situation. And I mean, I know triathletes, I, I coach athletes like pool issues are not uncommon. You know, it is a hard thing. And this is extra hard though, but for the summer right now, the weather's fine. So, uh, you know, gas prices aren't exactly the best to be driving that much. And I'm not someone who loves driving. And that was one of the reasons I moved to Montana was for the lack of driving. And so it hasn't been good, but, um, Alyssa, I have more news too, is that like my gym is actually closing at the end of this month <laughs> for four months. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just like, I am like, what is the universe telling me? Like, where am I supposed to move? So and tell where me about the condo rentals available in Butte because I feel it like this place could be like, I mean, the Y sounds lovely. I'm sure they have great treadmills there. I'm sure they have like what you would need, you know? I and looked like- it up. Um, I mean, the problem is like, I also have, you know, I have a dog. And so finding a rental is a little bit harder. And then I have a an interesting situation with my family and my parents right now. And um, that, you know, I'm kind of working through that makes it a little bit hard for me to just like pick up and leave. Um, you know, so there's life things that are going on as well that are a little challenging, but you know, I'm taking it one week at a time. I feel like I'm a fairly good problem solver and the workouts I've gotten in in Butte have been really, really good. And so I'm, I'm, you know, taking this as one week at a time. I do know things are probably going to have to change because it's not like a long-term solution, but Oh man, life these days is it's rough. Well, I think no, I know, and I appreciate you sharing that because I do think it's nice for people to see that like it's not easy, you know, like these things happen and they happen to people who do this for a living and are making, you know, their money based on being able to train and be at their best for racing, you know. And so to see the sacrifices that you're putting into it, I think I think it's I'm glad you're sharing because I think um I think it's nice to keep people aware that we it doesn't all come easy. That's yeah, for sure. No. And I, and I appreciate also that I'm not alone in this, you know, in these issues, like, uh, the pool, obviously there's a lot of triathletes, um, here fairly, you know, strong triathlon community. And then also, you know, a lot of swimmers, there's three age group swim teams. There's three high school swim teams that use that pool. So, um, you know, a lot of lap swimmers, a lot of, uh, water aerobics, um, learn to swim, swim Too lessons. Bad the city can't do like a, a bus that has Wi-Fi and do shuttle services to the to the YMB because then you could just get on the bus. You could do work during the commute, which would make it like at least a productive time. You know, you're not driving. It's like saving everyone some gas, getting them there to the pool. I feel like I think one guy also not a long term solution, but <laughs> yeah, someone actually one of that was on one of the agenda things that uh, a guy actually proposed that we've just done. I made a carpool spreadsheet, but so far I think me and Vanessa are the only ones who use it. So. <laughs> I'm like, we probably could just text, but, um, you know, it's like, okay, I'm like, I, I put it out there for people if they want to come ride, but no one wants to actually, no, my friend Colleen came once and then, um, but you know, this is a nice little segue. If you listen to the new title nine podcast, that is, uh, coming out, my, my episode drops today on the women's performance podcast, um, feisty media's women's performance podcast, uh, like feed. Yeah. So mine comes today. It's an interview with uh, Dr. Wendy Mink, who is the daughter of Patsy Takamoto Mink, uh, the first woman of color in Congress, co-author, sponsor of Title IX back in 1972. Um, If you listen to that, if you you listen to the end, there's a cameo appearance by none other than Cowboy, my best friend, that actually was my friend Colleen ringing the doorbell. getting a ride to the pool. So, um, you know, it, it invades all life. No, Colleen, I love you. It was, it was fine. Um, it was definitely, it's just, it's funny. You know, it was at the end. It's at the very end. It's fine, but definitely listen, great conversation with Wendy yeah. and you know, everyone loves a cowboy appearance or hear a cowboy cameo. Cow- hear cowboys two cents. She, he's a big fan of title nine. Yes. Yes. And I think my episode with Julie Moss comes out, um, uh, a couple weeks 
later. I'll double check for you, everyone, and, and I'll let you know. Don't worry on here. But make sure you're on the Women's Performance uh, podcast feed, and then you'll just get them all. You'll have the whole special series for Title IX, and it's uh, it's definitely gonna it's gonna be good. I'm excited to listen to the other ones as well. Yeah, um, and Alyssa, I think we are actually gonna do a mailbag this this week, right? We are. So everyone, you can continue sending mailbag questions into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We've been filling up the mailbag and we will be pulling out one for today. So Haley, today's question comes from Jocelyn and she just wanted to know what kind of saddle we ride. This was a, this was a good, good question. Yeah. I, I ride an ISM saddle. I don't know the exact, I've ridden ISM for for several years now. I was one of those things. I'm not sponsored, but I was actually in, this was years and years ago. I was in Japan visiting my friend, Mary, and one of her friends lent me a bike to ride while I was there. And it had an ISM saddle. And I was like, oh my God, like it was like life changing. Right. I was like, this is, I didn't know a saddle could be this comfortable. And I immediately went home, bought one for myself and haven't looked back. I've gone through like several and been very happy with all of them. I also ride ISM saddles and it happened because when I was, I think, getting into, you know, triathlon more seriously, I think I like tried out Hillary's bike, her time trial bike at one point. And I was like, same concept. I was like, what is the, like, how is this more, so much more comfortable than whatever I have, you know, stock saddle probably I was riding at the time. And it was an ISM saddle. I have actually tried all of theirs, like the long, the short. Um, and I have liked all of them to be honest. Um, and just kind of, you know, sometimes a season comes and I feel more comfortable on one than the other. So I, I rotate it through that sort of thing. But I think I'm riding the like PS, the short version right now, um, when I am riding my bike, which isn't a ton right now. So, um, and I have been sponsored by ISM in the past. I am no longer sponsored by them, but, um, I, I definitely keep riding the saddles because they're good stuff. So Jocelyn, thank you for that question. I hope that it gives you at least one direction to go in that Haley and I both, uh, both endorse. But, um, if, anyone else has other questions for the mailbag, you can keep filling that up. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And I will just add on there. Sometimes a bike fitter will have, you know, saddles that you can try and they can, you know, they might even have a fit bike where they can like swap them out. And so that is a way to do that without, you know, investing in it. But like we both had a chance to ride someone else's and then we're like, okay, this is worth the, whatever the pet money is. But, um, but yeah, check. I mean, it's another reason to get a bike fit if you, uh, if you have that opportunity. Speaking of bike fits, Haley, this is a great segue to I'm like on intro. fire with the segues this, today. I know. <laughs> um, we have a great interview for everyone this week with not one, but two women. And one of the two women is Lydia Dant. She is a professional triathlete, a bike fitter. See the connection there, everyone. And a cycling coach. And she recently won Ironman Lanzarote in her debut pro Ironman. Uh, it was her third pro race. The other two were Lanzarote 70.3 races that she raced. And she comes on the podcast today to talk to us with Lauren Ward, Ward, her coach. And Lauren is also the head of the Passion Fit community. And we brought them on together to get some interesting perspective on 
their coach athlete relationship and kind of get, put some more color behind Lydia's career so far and what went into that, uh, you know, breakthrough day that Lydia had in Lanzarote. And then Lauren also gives us a lot of information about the passion fit community and you know, how that works for the both of them and everything that they have going on, which is, which is a lot. So we really enjoyed this talk with Lydia and Lauren coming up next. Hi, Lydia and Lauren. Welcome to Iron Women. Hi. Hi, guys. So it's a little bit different with two guests on today. So I want to give our listeners a chance to hear both of your voices and kind of start to distinguish that. So if you both could just say, hi, you know, I'm I'm whoever, just a quick little intro with your name so our listeners can get the voices matched up. That would be great. Of course. Yeah. So uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Lauren. And I'm Lydia. And so Lydia, we want to basically just start out by talking to you a little bit about your pro debut Ironman, also just your debut Ironman in general for your triathlon career at Ironman Lanzarote just recently on May 21st, which you won. So we have a lot to kind of unpack here out of just that, but let's start with the race day itself. So I think you came out of the water in second place. Then you had an exceptional 519 bike split on one of the notoriously hardest bike courses on the Ironman circuit. And you follow that up with a 309 run to hang on for first place. So we know that an Ironman is never as simple as it looks on paper. We're looking at the splits afterwards, right? So can you kind of tell us how the day unfolded a little bit for you? Yeah. um, Well, the first goal is to actually finish the Ironman. And... (laughs) The, the overarching goal was just to enjoy the day. That was all I wanted to achieve was I'm only ever going to get that one debut once. It was my first time, like I said, like you said, doing an Ironman. And I just wanted to go and enjoy that whole experience. Like you never know when um, your next race, if you're going to get next race. So if you were to look back and think, have I made the most of every moment? Like this was about the build up as well as like during the race and after. That was all I wanted to do was to look back, irrelevant of outcome and think, actually, was there anything I would have done differently? And just enjoy it and just... It was your first ever one, wasn't it? So I guess you never get that chance again, do you, to have that memory of your first ever, not just your first ever pro Ironman, but your first ever Ironman, so... I think that was your number one goal, isn't it? To look back at it with such fond memories, no matter what happened. And that was, that was really nice. And so so did you, did you have like a firm race plan then still, or were you just kind of like, I'm just going to go hard if I feel good, but I really just like, were you really just like, enjoy the day, like eat a lot, drink a lot and make sure I get to that finish line. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that was like, Amazing. I literally was it just to embrace every part of the day and just remember how privileged I was just to be there. Um, like there was, as, as such, as a sort of like set of process goals that I had. But for me, mostly actually, it was never based on like power or pace. It was solely based on for um, my actual behavioural goals. So how I was thinking and feeling during the race um and having like a level of like just presence being in the moment and flow so all of those aspects around like power pace etc weren't actually factored into my race plan as such it was okay we're well, going to go into the swim well right before the swim i took a moment to turn around and look back up at all of the spectators standing on the rocks 
think, wow, this is <laughs> really cool because I just can see all the people, the spectators there, ready to see us do what we were going to do that day. I could see all of the other people lining up for their swim starts and thinking, okay, this is about to get our toes into the sea and who knows how the day's going to go and just soak in that atmosphere. Um, watching the sun come up over the course as it was starting to, to rise over the sea. Um, I even saw like, the fishes whilst I was in the swim. So I knew where I was tactically in the race. Like I could see the lead canoe, I knew I was at probably about, it was 90 seconds and I kind of guessed that was the case whilst I was swimming. So I was tactically very aware. Um, I knew based on other things that I was having quite to swim because I was waiting for my coach, Tom, to catch me at some point because he's probably about a five minute quicker swimmer than I was. And he, being a male age group, has started five minutes behind. So I do they think, still do the a mass start for age groupers right behind the pros in Lanzarote? Sort of like a rolling, yeah. Okay. That, yeah. Okay. But normally elbows his way to be on right. the front line. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it was like I then came out the swim side by side, literally appeared for the last couple of hundred meters we were swimming together. And I was like, that's such a this is such a cool moment already. Like it's already been awesome. We've just got into the swim. Um and so, yeah, I knew that I was, so I came out of the water third, just behind Elizabetta and Emma. And I knew that I could look to close the gap on the bike. That was like my kind of next, next goal. Um, and I could see them going up uh, towards Connell off the doggy track. And I was like, I just got there and I saw them and I was like, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to, I said to her, I was like, oh, let's, go, let's go have some fun. And I was just ready just to go and have a fun day out <laughs> on the bike and just sort of treat would any other ride um if I was out like with like coach my coach and other athletes that we train with I would have just pushed on and that's exactly what I did I just went and um I knew what the course was coming up and just enjoyed going on the descents down to Uga and down to Claire Blanca and looking at again just that the scenery around and uh it was really cool um because I was just in that moment really and just having a blast and when I saw you up to keys <laughs> <laughs> Lauren was giving me my splits it was like yeah like, you've got six minutes you're doing that I was like Lauren I'm just having I'm having a blast so I think it was out your team I was like yeah you're nailing it <laughs> really excited so I was just I just appreciated every single moment what I was really grateful was that it was there were minimal motors around as well so I was able to really just focus on um, delivering the sort of ride that I wanted to, knowing that it would be a really honest reflection of where I was. That was something I was really, yeah, quite quite pleased with as well. Um, and the second half of the bike was tough, so I wasn't going around in this floating <laughs> type sensation at all. Like, it was tough. And I think just the lack of not, not necessarily knowing how it was going to feel was not a surprise. But again, I just kept on thinking, okay, I'm in, in this moment, what are the elements I can control? I just keep on taking more nutrition and just keep on looking at what I'm doing, seeing the other athletes around me as well. Like that was a quite good part about the course. There's quite a few out and back, so I could see how other people's races were, were coming together. And we had, was it six athletes from Fashion yeah, Fit six, Races? Yeah. So there's a lot of times you could just wave to, to someone else, which again, that just makes a massive difference, just having that sort of shared feeling of belong when you're out on the course. So the bike was, was, I just had a really, really good fun. And I came out on to the run um, with the knowledge of what the time gap was, but also knowing that it was still L's and Elizabeth behind me 
and both of them have wicked runs as well so my goal was to just stay in that sort of flow state that I was in and apply exactly the same ethos to the bike and the run uh, bike and swim that I had to the run as well so going out towards the airport they would do one big loop out towards Arecibo the first loop is like 24 kilometers and going out I saw Fabio who's the race organizer for the Santa and I was like Fabio this is amazing and just looked at this like you put on a great race looking at the scenery and again just remaining quite composed but just making sure I was in that moment and just enjoying it um, the atmosphere when you come back into into Porto del Carmen and soaking up every every moment of that um, we had loads of people supporting from Passion Fit and other people that we have known quite well within the triathlon community so I was just so bringing in those moments um, and it was quite exciting because it was a close race I think it was one minute 45 in it between myself and Els and that was just I wouldn't want it any other way um, I'd rather have a race that was close as close as that because it feels so much more rewarding knowing that you've both been trying to put together those jigsaw puzzle pieces and pushing each other to the absolute limit yeah i guess when it's that close you've both essentially pushed each other to be the best that you can be on the day haven't you you know when it's that when it's that close yeah but for me the best part of the race was just from more of the behavioral choices that i made and like that resulting in a win was just an added bonus if you take outcome out of the picture, I wouldn't feel any differently about the race and neither would Tom, my coach, should or should it not have resulted in that overall win yeah. at all. It's just that execution of, of behaviours. This definitely sounds like textbook, the perfect mindset for an Ironman and it being your very first one, it's very impressive. Um, you mentioned Tom, your coach, and then we have Lauren here. Lauren, can you kind of explain your relationship and uh, what you were doing during the race? And and did you know, did you know Lydia had it in her to win? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so the first part of your question, so um, so my role, uh, so Tom is my husband and um, so Tom and I run and lead um, the passion fit, like business and, and community together. Um, so Tom started it back in 2016, and then um, I basically sort of took over the, the lead role a couple of years later when it was appropriate for me to leave my full-time job, which was always the the, um, the goal. Um, so we, we both obviously have the athletes that we work with individually, but we both also have input on, on all of the athletes. So my role is I kind of look after the, the whole of the community and all of the athletes in it. And Tom does work more specifically with, with some of the individuals as well. Um, on the day, uh, my role is kind of, uh, my role is very much kind of uh, chief cheerleader, split giver, uh, information giver. So um, my role was literally run around from the uh, swim exit, kind of mount line, get to the halfway point on the bike that uh, so I think it was at the 90k point and the 140k point and then back to T2 just to make sure that those athletes that were um that were racing um had the information that they needed to be able to make sort of decisions through the day um so Tom my, my, uh, my husband obviously that was racing as well Lydia um and uh, Michelle were sort of the three athletes that were there to race 
um, but yeah, to make sure that they had all of the information they needed in order to kind of do that. So um, yeah, I'm kind of like the, the really loud gobby one on, on, on race day. And did you know going into it, did you, did you expect Lydia to win or was it just like, oh my goodness, she's in first, like, let's keep it going. Kind of a mixture of all, all of that really. We, we definitely knew from, from obviously seeing um, her, her training and, and working with her for the last couple of years, we've certainly obviously got an idea of where we think her physiology is and, and where her fitness levels are and her potential is. And so we absolutely knew that um, it was a possibility we knew that it, she probably had it in her, but we were we were also very aware that it was her first ever Ironman as well. Um, and you know, there's a there's a lot of um, you know, rightly or wrongly, there's there's bound to be a lot of feelings of like pressure and um, nervousness, and um, so yeah, we we knew that it was a possibility, but we also knew that the the rest of the field was strong. We knew there were some other really strong athletes that she'd be competing with, more experienced athletes. Um, so we, I guess that's why Lids has talked so much about the kind of behavioral like goals and, and peace, because actually I think what we worked out was Liz had done everything she needed to do in training from a physical point of view. Um, she was, she was ready. Um, but on the day, that wasn't necessarily what it was going to come down to. It was going to come down to there's a, there, you know, I guess you'll both know as well when you race the the mental side of things and the the pressure and the um, yeah, like I say, that the nervousness, the fear can can be overwhelming. Um, so that ended up being a large part of of Lids's goals is actually if she focused on the process, just focused on staying. Um, in the present in the moment making sure that she felt the feelings that she did but was able to control them so that she could make sensible decisions and not be overwhelmed by kind of what was happening emotion etc we knew that if she kind of remained in that really positive state that it would be more likely she would be able to make the, the decisions and um, enjoy the day and actually ironically the outcome would probably be more likely to happen um, so that's why there was so much focus on that. Cause like I say, by the time we got to the day, the, the, the physical training is done. Um, you know, she, she's as fit as she's going to be on race day. We, we can't make any changes to that, but what we can change is the, the way that she executed it and approached it. And, um, and yeah, I don't think you could have done that better, but you could do so. Um, yeah. When you, when you're on the top step of the podium, I don't think you should be, you know, you, you did everything as pretty, probably as right as you could. So that's something to celebrate <laughs> for sure. And, you know, I think one of the most common things athletes and well, triathletes will think when they do a, a 70.3 is like, they get to the finish line, they're spent and they're like, I could have never done that again. Right. Yeah. And so Lydia, you had the unique experience of racing Lanzarote 70.3 as your, you know, two pro races, both in, I think October and March kind of leading up to this during, you know, I think it would be fun to hear your perspective and maybe give some advice to those athletes who are kind of thinking that and might have that pipe dream of doing an Ironman one day, but like get to the end of those 70.3s and think, man, I can't imagine doing that twice. Like, did you have those thoughts perhaps when you were finishing the 70.3 in Lanzarote and did, you know, did you have a process for kind of overcoming that? Um, well, yeah, Lanzarote 70.3 is a disproportionately tough course relative to its distance. So it's just making sure in the first instance that we put it into 
its actual context. Um, because yeah, Fabio has put what is a brutal bike and runkles together, really to tough. say the least. Um, I think for me as well, like finishing an Ironman is always going to be a daunting task, and that was I was more nervous about finishing than anything else. The other difference is as well, it's nearly impossible to practice replicating that feeling of an Ironman in training, where it's easier to kind of like prepare yourself in that respect for a seventy point three um, with the time and the distance and such. But there are a few things uh, that in advance of doing full distance that I think helped me just to have that trust in myself. So the first was around spending the time in Lanzarote. So doing both of the 70.3s there, but also having spent the build-up of the race. I was knew the course, I knew the conditions. So I felt that in that respect, I had done what I needed to, to prepare myself as well as I could. But there's also that piece around behavioural goals um, like I mentioned as well. So I never really ever thought after 70.3 could have done that twice. Um, and it was quite an interesting question actually because it wasn't something that ever really came into my conscious thought because I was more thinking about each part of like the process during the swim, bike and run. So actually even on the day, the distance never really came into the equation. It was just what am I going to continue to do to help maintain this sort of state of flow? And it was, like I said earlier, was, I saw all of our Passion for Athletes out on the run course. So it was just like giving them a smile and just a, like a wave or a high five and seeing how, how they were going on. Um, just being in awe of what everyone else on that course was achieving on that day. Um, and just like focusing on just being in that moment. So it was more around that piece. So I've never really thought about that distance and being like double it. It was more of like, okay, this is flipping awesome because like the human body's capable of, of doing this um, and just consciously thinking about being grateful for being there and a privilege to start. So I think that's probably what I'd say to someone who is looking at having these thoughts around an Ironman this season is it is daunting and again if, when I maybe do another full distance at some point I'll be, I, will, I know I'm going to be thinking I'm already thinking the same it's like well, how, how did I do that this time and how am I going to finish such a distance again? I think it's how you break it down and focus on how you want to enjoy the experience of the day that actually makes it feel more manageable in an odd way. Yeah. If you'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, c c completely. And I think, um, you know, quite often we will talk to people and especially out in Lanzarote, you know, people that were out there on holiday, perhaps that would sort of see that the race was going on and chat to us after would say, oh my goodness, you know, what have you done? And you'd explain, okay, well, it's a 3.8k swim followed by 180k bike and then it's a full marathon. And they're like, what? All in the same day? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> and they go, wow, I could never do that. And you think, actually, you you probably could. Not Maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow. Um, but actually, uh, it's, <laughs> I think most people think that they couldn't. But it, like anything else, actually, if you break it down, you set um, appropriate goals and um, maybe don't think of it as one great big huge goal, but um, sort, of, sort of smaller ones along the way. Actually, you know, I think most people would be surprised what they can do, but I think it's similar to anything, isn't it? I, you know, even now if we went and raced a, um, a sprint or an Olympic, you think, oh my God, how would I do this twice or three times or four times over? Um, because your intensity changes based on obviously the well it does for me but you seem to get more in 
Wow. Lauren, I wanted to ask you specifically about, you know, Lydia's decision to race Iron Man because we read that initially she had planned to do her first Iron Man back in 2018 at Iron Man Wales. So several years ago, and I think the two of you collaborated, decided it wasn't the right time. A lot has happened in between those two times. So when you talk about an athlete being ready to race an Ironman, what are you looking for? Um, um, it's a really good question because it depends. The answer really depends hugely on what the athlete's goal is. Um, you know, whether it is for them to um, just just complete it and just get round, um, whether it's that they want to ra like race competitively, whether they want to... Um, reach their full potential and also what they have going on elsewhere in their life as well. So we take lots of things into consideration and we usually um, will ask an athlete lots and lots and lots and lots of questions before we'd really know what ready, if you like, for that athlete would look like. Um, I mean, in, in Lydia's case, so yeah, you're right. She approached us in, in 2018 with the goal of doing Ironman Wales, was, yeah. wasn't it? And I think this was sort of like, April, March, April yeah. time, I think, and uh, Wales was in the September, so sort of six months prior. Um, and the conversation we had was that in, in that six month period, we can, look, we could probably get you ready to, you know, take away any unforeseen, like illness and injuries and things like that. Like, we can probably get you ready to, to finish. But, um, you know, depending on what your goals are, and what you want to do, if you want to, um, be the best that you can be on the day and prepare um, what sort of uh, we would say kind of sufficiently, safely um, and to enjoy the day, meet the goals that you may have, then we would recommend that you had longer to prepare. Um, and, I, you know, we sort of gave Lids that option. We, you know, look, we can either just get you ready to finish um, or we can take a little bit longer and, uh, you know, be patient and we uh, yeah, can, can get you ready to race to the, the, the best of your ability um, and really do it well, you know, properly, if you like. So I think what I've, I've done is I kind of fell into the instant gratification mm. trap of wanting, I knew I wanted to do an Ironman and Ironman Wells was something that was there, there were entries available and I hadn't really it was more to feel like a void and I wanted to have a sustained lifestyle change, but I think I'd just fall in into that, get it done quickly. And then wouldn't realize that afterwards, I'd probably still be looking to, to do something else anyway. And sitting down with Lauren and Tom, um, we had that sort of conversation around actually, one of the beauties of Ironman is around the journey you go on, like the sacrifices and choices that you make as part of that process. It's not about following a shortcut plan trying to get away the least amount of training just to cross that line and get your finishers medal and t-shirt and be done and I that made me think a lot more about it and what this journey actually meant to me but it also made me then start to question well what was my why for doing it in the first place and I came back to actually my why and reason for entering Ironman Wales is was because I wanted to change the status quo of the sort of cycle of life that I had fell into and so by just going to do Ironman Wales as quickly as I could, just get it sort of done, wasn't really my driver in the first instance for doing it. So that's why I've like never really been too worried about forcing it. 
And actually, do you know what? It might have taken me four years to do an Ironman, but it's been the best four years <laughs> of my life. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way as well. Um, so this was part of the journey um, and creating that sustained lifestyle change, feeling, feeling that level of fulfillment that I now do within this journey and knowing that it doesn't actually have to end with just having my finishers t-shirt and medal. Like this is continued forever if I want it, essentially. Yeah. And Lauren, I imagine when you're asking athletes a million questions, you know, trying to determine if they're ready, if six months would be enough, well, you know, that sort of thing. Finding out their athletic background is like a huge part of that, right? Have they been in triathlon for years and years? Have they been in sport? Um, you know, what sports, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, and Lydia, you're kind of talking a little bit about like the status of your life at that point. So, you know, had you been big in sport, what was your, you know, triathlon background prior to, to that point? Literally nothing. <laughs> no sport at all? Like nothing? Not, not, not massively. Like I used to, when I was at Loughborough University studying, I was, I played hockey there. That was the first time I started like a little bit of cycling. So just before I went, I decided to buy a road bike enjoying the cycling um club there but i mean at that point i thought 10 miles was a long ride so <laughs> <laughs> and so i wasn't really doing much like I, over time i started to go out and do longer rides with different groups and once i finished uh, university i then started to join like the local club that i was in um for, for some cycling i dabbled in a little bit of time trialing but relative to what i know now I was kind of going through the motions. I wasn't really, I never really applied myself. That was the difference. I enjoyed it and I was having a great time. Like I just loved being out on the bike, but I wouldn't say I ever trained with any sense More of- kind of like recreational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was health and fitness. And at that point of where I was, when I entered Ironman Wales, I was doing very, very minimal. Um, like when I first came to the first group run, I didn't even know if I'd make it around the 10K loop. Um, that was touch and go. So yeah, so very little I'd say in sport overall. I've always participated, but I've got no background in elite sport. And did but, you have a um like did you learn to swim young? Did you learn the basics of swim strokes or what were you are you an adult onset swimmer as well? Yeah. Wow. Um, I went to what I now let my parents know is anti drowning lessons. <laughs> so <laughs> like um so yeah, I've had to learn to swim since I started We've got the endless pool at the studio here. So I've spent a lot of time in looking at the swim footage and analysis. So with the pandemic in the middle, I've only essentially been swimming for a couple of years. So that's been quite a learning curve as well. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Listening to this timeline, I'm like four years to Ironman champion is actually quite fast. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about the whole passion fit community and this coaching group because I, um, I'm a fan of bright colors and your kits are very brightly colored. Um, but I know there's more to it than just the kits. So Lauren, can you tell us a little bit about your community and, uh, do you do group workouts? Do you have more pros? Tell us about your, your philosophy. Yeah. So we, so basically on the kit that is brightly colored for a reason. <laughs> one, because we love colors, but also the genuinely one of the reasons was it makes us so easy to spot each other when we're out racing. So, um, so that, that was one of the reasons behind one of the, the bright colors. Um, my husband used to race and, um, uh, like before I really started racing and I would 
be there trying to spectate him. And I'm like, I didn't spot you, I missed you because everyone's in black and white and everyone's in sunglasses and a hat. And um, so the, the, the bright colors are, are partly, so it makes it so easy for us to spot each other. But um, in terms of the way that our community works, we quite literally have a bandwidth of, obviously we have Lydia who races now professional, right through to um, absolute complete beginners that have never done a triathlon before, can't swim, need to, you know, learn to swim right from scratch, um, perhaps nervous on a bike that need to develop the bike handling skills and confidence to bike outdoors on the road. So, so it, a huge bandwidth. And so, um, and we, for us, we don't, we don't like, I guess, judge or, um, uh sort of compare any of our athletes at all on their physical ability it is all about their um their their mindset their attitude their behaviors and that's what makes them i guess a, a key part of our community is that um they they share a, a kind of um enthusiasm to support each other's journey and to be in a community that the community just purely being in it um makes everyone's journey um, more enjoyable, more um, fulfilling. And in order to create that, we focus on three main things. And you may have heard of uh, self-determination theory before, and we kind of base our, our community on that really. So we focus on three things with our athletes. And the first is uh, competence. So we actually, instead of kind of being a, a dictatorship from, from the coach to, to the athletes, whether they're highly experienced or complete beginners, we want to educate them and we want them to learn. We want them to learn about training. We want them to develop their understanding and their skill set. Um, we don't want it to just be like a, a tell-do relationship between us and them. So we do quite a lot around helping them understand why they do certain training sessions, the benefits of them, how hard to or not to work in certain training sessions and the, and the risks, the benefits of doing so. Um, and by us, developing that competence in them we're able to then the second point give them much more autonomy over their training now we understand that that takes time and we can't always do that right at the beginning especially with with beginners but over time the idea is we develop that skill set that understanding um for them to be able to take some ownership over their their program because um, ultimately a lot of the time once they've developed that understanding and knowledge to do so they will know better than us when they wake up in the morning how do they feel did they are they feeling more fatigued than we expected because perhaps we didn't know they had five hours gardening to do after their long run on the sunday or whatever it might be so we try and develop enough understanding in them so that they can make some dynamic decisions about their their training and their plan um without always having to contact us that they're, they're able to contact us whenever they like but so that they don't have to they're able to do that and ultimately we've also realized that if they um, if they have that level of ownership and input in their journey, it's so much more rewarding for them because it really feels like it's theirs, you know, not us telling them what to do all the time. Um, so we like to develop a competence so that they can have more autonomy. And then also we, we create that feeling of, of togetherness, um, of relatedness as well between them so that they feel like, you know, triathlon can be a very lonely sport at times and a very solo sport. And, Actually, we wanted to try and bring the, the benefits of, of team sport and almost give that, that team feeling to a sport that can be very, that can make you feel very isolated at times. 
um, which is you know what why we ended up creating the community um, so that there's a group of people that um, that support each other and encourage each other and make each other's journey um, feel so much more uh, accomplished more enjoyable um, and hopefully motivate each other as well um, and uh, and and they're the kind of three key things that we focus on when we are, are kind of building and creating our community and, and therefore because of the togetherness piece we we um, do have some face-to-face -face group sessions so here locally we're based in Cheltenham in, in the UK um, and on a Tuesday night we any of the athletes that we coach that are local we get them all down and we we uh, myself and Tom coach them through um, a group run session and again we'll have everyone there from you know lids would join all the way through to, to someone brand new to the community you know training for their first ever sprint distance um, and we'll cater for that um, and the athletes will kind of pair up into kind of um, uh, with each other that you know is suitable for them to execute the session together um, and we also do some virtual sessions as well so again myself and, uh, and Tom will virtually lead um, some coach group bike sessions um, so we'll execute it with them we'll all get on like Zwift and, and Discord um, so that we can talk them through uh, a session exactly how to execute it what kind of feelings they should be feeling um, you know that actually on certain sessions it's a, it, do you know what if it feels like it's really tough and your legs are burning that's okay that's how it's meant to feel um congratulations it, you're doing it right yeah yeah <laughs> I, you know, obviously we're like actually do you know what it's, it's not right if you feel that on this one but on this one yeah it's okay it's yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um and what's really nice as well is again on those sessions we can have a complete beginner and we can have lydia um so we have that that full bandwidth of um of athletes and we can use that time to again help them understand um this is how you should be um, executing it these are the options that you've got if this is how you're feeling do you know what just pull back a little bit you know pull back by five percent and um do you know what your training effect is probably still going to be almost the same um without absolutely killing yourself and ruining the rest of the week you know and we we, we try and um use sessions to to help yeah, them develop their understanding and their skill set um so that's kind of how we sort of base the community um and i think it's safe to say that uh we that although the athletes are very inspired mm -hmm. by what you've what you've achieved um there's a lovely feeling of sort of all six athletes that we had that raced on the weekend um you know like lydia is just as equally as inspired and proud of um we you know we had a couple of athletes that oh, i suppose as well as lydia it was their first ever ironman first ever full distance and we had you know one lady who um had experienced an injury leading up so we weren't sure whether she was going to be able to start and certainly able to finish because we weren't sure um you know after we'd been able to rehab the injury there was enough time for us to then get back to kind of that full ironman distance but she did everything she could and everything she could control to get herself ready to the start line so she probably worked equally as hard yes. as you did didn't this, she this is the, like the key point around passion yeah. fit is every athlete has the choice of accomplishment like i'm fortunate that i tend to seem to have a physiology which lends itself to outcome and as a society we're attracted to outcome being an indicator of success as such but we know that that's not the case. And like Lauren said, 
every athlete that I shared that race course with from Passion Fit hasn't done any less work than I have to get to that start line, hasn't prepared any less less than I have either. It's just that their physiology doesn't necessarily lend itself. But we, we had some exceptional outcomes as well, like Michelle yeah. um, using the 40 to 44 age group. She won her age group. She set the bike course record and a new course record too. And like Lawrence mentioned, another person who had an injury leading up to it. I know the work that she's put in. She's probably doing more training the week than I was, <laughs> like in terms of volume. Um, but she's just not going to have the physiology to necessarily lend itself naturally to outcome. And that's why we use a process called Ipsative Goal Setting. So it's relative to your own start point and your own potential. So that we're actually allowing every athlete to choose what accomplishment looks like to them. And that's why this community works in such a way, because I achieved relative to my start point of potential, as did every other athlete from Passion Fit Racing last weekend as well. And that's why no one's suddenly looking at me in a different way of putting me up in a pedestal. And don't worry, when I went <laughs> to swimming last, last week, I was put, put firmly back in the box. <laughs> There's no worries there. I'm back to answering the door and making poached eggs after training <laughs> this morning. So, yeah, never treated differently because yeah. our version of accomplishment is setting quite a unique way in society based on our own Ipsative goal-setting framework that we use at Passion Fit. Well, I think we could talk to you. I have a whole entire podcast with you ladies on like coaching philosophies and that sort of thing. It's definitely a breath of fresh air to hear some of what you're saying, but we, you know, Lydia, we do want to talk to you a little bit too about um, the business you're developing with bike fitting. Um, you know, in my head, I was like, maybe she's been riding her whole life, you know, she's, but you clearly told us that's not the case. So can you tell us how you develop this expertise to be such a bike guru? I mean, you clearly know what you're doing, right? You've showcased it on one of the most technical and most difficult courses. I know I've ridden there, um, in Lanzarote. So, you know, how was this just an interest of yours that you've really dug into and then realized like, you know, you're, you're good at this. You can do some bike fitting and help others with their cycling abilities. You pretty much hit the nail on the head with that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is something that's come naturally to me over time. So out of the three disciplines, yeah, the bike is the area that has intrigued me the most. And I spend an absolute age just reading on oh, what chain is good. If I use this, how will it optimize <laughs> my bike in a certain way? So it's something that has just, yeah, I've just had an interest in and that's just continued to develop over time. And then I found that naturally more people are starting to come and ask for a bit of support within, within the Passion Fit community. Like I remember I turned up to one of my one-to-one -one sessions with Tom and I'd mind mapped out my time trial bike that I had at the time. Oh my God, and it was huge yeah. like that, wasn't it? It was like on an A3 <laughs> bit of paper. And literally put down, broke down every component on the bike and prioritised like basically what area I felt I should invest money in, what the benefit would be for that, um, down to like the nth degree on it. So that's something that slowly started to develop. Um, I also started to realise that I didn't feel that there was enough provision just for the everyday cyclists in the bike fitting world. Like a lot of it's focused on the performance and it's also really, really male dominated. So I felt concerned that if I was starting out right now, who would I go to to get more support with my bike? And off the top of my head, I couldn't really think of anyone that I feel comfortable to, to go do that with. So this is even like the case more for women as well. And 
there aren't really any female bike fitters out there. And I've seen so many women in cycling that come in and wanting to have a bike fit or just help with their bike, but also not really wanting to go necessarily to some men. Like a lot of men are very, very good. Like we've got some people that we would naturally go to as such, but creating that space is really important for me um, to allow anyone just to get help with their bike. What's also been interesting, because I have had a lot of women come through, but I've actually found that a lot of men have been quite keen to come in as well, just that they haven't necessarily wanted to have to go to other male bike fitters who are focused on, we want to get you aero, or even just thinking, actually, it's okay that you don't know what that component does. It was just creating that different sort of environment for them. Um, so it's being able to cover that breadth of supporting anyone with their bike, however that looks. I mean, I can... I do provide the high performance bike fits. So when like yourself, like my top myself, and like Tom and Michelle, the process we've applied to to our bikes and optimizing them is totally aligned with the concepts that I use within the sort of performance package that I do um, for bike fitting. But equally, I love it when I have like, the sixty year old ladies come in and they're wanting to get comfortable so they can go out with their mates at the weekend and go on the coffee and cake rides. And actually, I love like getting in stuck in the detail, but those are the bike fits that really just make me buzz a little bit more. Yeah. Um, knowing how much it means means them in a totally different way. So it's just been through just natural levels of just wanting to find out more and learn about my bikes and how that's then helped to develop that level of expertise over time, really. Um, and just feeling like that sense of purpose, actually. I have that skill set. And I know that there's people out there who need that support and feeling, actually, if not me, then who's going to be there for them? And a lot of our listeners are probably, uh, they ride bikes and they are women and they, some of them might live in the UK, but maybe don't have quite the access to you. Do you have a piece of advice that you would give a woman who, who wants advice on a bike fit? Is there any general one piece of advice or two pieces of advice that you tell people to start with? The first one is just don't get too caught up in all the marketing hype. So there's a lot of getting drawn into what you think you need versus what you actually need. And for the majority of us, just focusing on what's going to make you comfortable and sustainable and improve your handling are probably the key areas I'd start to focus on before you even think about aerodynamics and optimization. There's too much focus on this like performance and optimization piece as such, rather than just actually what would ultimately help you enjoy your bike more. And that's probably what I focus on is just keep it really, really simple. Don't go out and buy what you think you need. It's breaking it down to actually what do I, what's going to give me most enjoyment out of like going out on, on my bike today, um, rather than getting too carried away with I'll buy a TT bike because I think it's going to make it faster actually possibly buying a road bike might make you quicker because you'll enjoy it more because you'll feel more confident on it. Um, so it's just making sure that you're spending the right money on the right equipment for you and you, that where you are in your journey and not getting distracted by the marketing hype. So I think, yeah, just don't get caught into the marketing hype and focus on comfort and sustainability and just ultimately how you're going to get the best experience out of race day and training on it as well. And we have a mailbag uh, that listeners can write into. And a question we've seen more than a couple times is about like, should I ride my TT bike or should I ride my road bike on a specific course? And, you know, going back to Lanzarote, that's definitely a course where I was on a TT bike. Like, whoo, this is like, 
you got to have your skills pretty fine tuned. Right. And I know that question came up a lot when 70.3 worlds was in Nice, France. And honestly, even with all the racing in St. George, I think people are asking that. So do you have a perspective on when an athlete should ride a road bike or a TT bike on a course with a lot of climbing like that and technicality? This is a tricky one. Well, it's not, it's quite an easy one to answer, but it, it is and isn't. So it always depends on the athlete. So I can't really give like a definitive, this is the right thing for this course as such, because it always comes down to the decision about like the individual and the choice and the conversations they've had with their coach as well to come to that conclusion. So for every athlete, the decision would be slightly different based on so many different other factors. And this is the same with like equipment choices as well. Um, and you might have noticed that I racked um, Atlas Rossi with a disc on my TT bike, but I actually ended up racing on a shallow parkour strada. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't because of the hype around should you or shouldn't you ride a disc wheel. My choice is always to ride a disc. This is purely because in the morning, got into transition and the pressure in my disc had dropped more than I was comfortable with overnight. So Lauren, this is the thing she didn't actually mention, <laughs> in one of her race day duties, sprinted up to the van to go and get my spare wheel So I, whilst I was taking my disc off so she could switch it through. So again, this is individual equipment choices. I've gone through and I know that for me, the disc is, the re- I choose that for a reason. Um, so it's making sure it's the right equipment, right for the individual at their point in the journey. So it's, yeah, always making sure that regardless of choices you make, it's right for the individual. I mean, we see a lot of athletes riding TT bikes where actually a road bike might, 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 might be more suitable for them. And people are spending thousands on a TT bike. They don't enjoy riding it. They're actually probably better off spending less money on a bike, buying a road bike, and then getting a coach to support them to probably enjoy that whole race experience a lot more. So with all of these questions, it's never a one size fits all policy answer. You have to understand the individual, where they're at, and actually how are they gonna get the best experience out of what they're looking for out of racing. And so Lydia, you qualified to race in the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii this October. We imagine that is uh, a focus for the rest of the season. Is that correct? Or are you uh, going to mix it up? Because you seem like a very unexpected athlete who doesn't need to follow the uh, marketing hype. So what are your plans for the rest of the year? Yeah, I didn't take my Kona slots. Um, Kona was never part of the plan for me this year. And so made the decision to to not take it. it was this wasn't an easy decision at all and immediately post race there was a lot of messages like oh see you in Kona like you're taking a slot and I was like oh actually I don't know am I like because I hadn't even I didn't even think about Kona when I was racing like there was that never even came into my head even before the race like none of that was ever in, in the equation because that was never part of the plan yeah. for me this year at all. Um, and so I, we took a moment and just sensed A moment? We, oh, we, had, we had about a two and a half hour conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Time after an Ironman always feels so fleeting. It's just... <laughs> we, had, we didn't want to suddenly get caught up in, yeah. to the hype. And just because the option to take a slot was there, it didn't mean that I necessarily should. And so, I mean, there are a few reasons why I didn't take the slot. I mean, like I said, so I could have taken it. It wouldn't have cost me anything to take it there and then. It, 
would have been taking it because I could, not because I should take it. I mean, I financially, Kona going this year was never going to happen, but it was more than the financial piece. It was around the values and what we felt was the right thing to do. I see a lot of athletes taking slots for races and then they're not actually intending to go to them. And which is essentially in some respects possibly depriving other athletes of the opportunity to then go um, and represent themselves at like world championship events. And for me, it's sad when you see um, like world championship fields and they aren't, haven't got a full women's field there. And what we want to do is to make sure we have got, like bring that equality to female athletes. And if anything that I could do to help support that um, felt like the right thing to do. So I had another opportunity to support another athlete with my choices that day. And so I decided to um, let my slot roll. I knew that Elizabeth wanted to go to Kona and I've grown to know her quite well. And she's so lovely. She's so dedicated to, to her journey and it's a dream to, to go to Kona. And she, she hung in, like <laughs> she dug so deep that day and um, was there, there all day. I know that on, on that day, myself and Elle set a really fast pace relative to other years. And on another year, this might have resulted in, in a different outcome. I know that she had the race of her life. So I felt that, you know, what the right thing to do is to offer someone else the opportunity to take it. It didn't, it didn't affect me at all. And like I said, a passion fit wasn't ever going to Kona or not going to Kona wasn't going to define my level of accomplishment as an athlete and if I never go to Kona it's still not going to define my level of accomplishment as as an athlete at all um and you know what going to see her uh, at the slot allocation take it was that that made oh sorry there's a lot of tears there's a lot of tears she started crying I could see how much it meant to her she she took a slot she started crying her boyfriend started crying I started crying <laughs> Tom started crying and do you know what I'm so excited because I can't wait to see her like start that build build towards Kona um and track her on track her on race day and see how she gets on um I felt ultimately like with that decision like we all have the we should all be here to support each other and not not tear chunks of each other and if i had to choose between winning and making this decision again i would always make that decision a million times over it was yeah i think both both tom and i as coaches um you know we you know we very much see our role as um we don't just develop athletes to be faster better athletes we actually we try to develop um them to be better uh, like people uh, and actually um become better versions of themselves and um and actually we both agreed that we were more proud of lids's really thought out decision to not take the Kona slot and to uh, to go through that thought process and make sure she was really clear in her mind she was making the decision that was absolutely right for um, her journey and anyone else's that she had impact on and that she um, had influence over um, rather than necessarily just just kind of following the, the, the kind of hype and, and what um, the thing to do was. Um, we were probably more proud 
I'm most proud that she made that decision and was able to, to go through that process and have a huge impact positively on someone else's life um, than, um, than, than, than almost her, her race result. Like that was um, arguably, a, that was such a hard decision to make, but like you said, it was, you know, it would be so easy for Lid to go, do you know what, I'll have the slot um, and I'll decide later, knowing that the reality was it probably wasn't going to be possible logistically, financially, you know, obviously Liz is running a business as well as obviously her athletic career. Um, so knowing that she possibly wouldn't be able to go or I suppose it was more probable and unable to go. Um, but this this other person was, uh, you know, from our understanding, d desperately wanting to do so and really deserved it. Yeah, she, she, she had a fantastic race. And, and the other piece was as well that I would be going and be going on my own and that wasn't the experience I'd want if I was ever going to go to Kona I'd want to go and share it with other athletes from Passion Fit that have also qualified as well and it wouldn't have that sort of sense of like, belonging and it wouldn't be that same experience like if I'm going to go to Kona I know the people I want to be surrounded by to go and enjoy that experience with that I've shared this whole journey with and like I said it's taken me four years to get to do a full distance timer and I don't mind how long it takes if I <laughs> to qualify to go again knowing that it'll be what I have to do is have that sort of trust in that process that it'll be the right moment at the right time and that's what we've done all the way along is just waiting for the right moment and the right opportunity and again I'd rather go and check in with everyone else yeah um then it and have that sort of sense of community feeling and we reminded ourselves as well didn't we we thought um actually some experience at full distance might be be good as well before the world championships because we sort of thought oh actually we still have only done man we kept forgetting that so does that mean you are eyeing a you know i have no doubt that you will have the opportunity to make this decision again in the future at some point um but are you looking to do another full distance this year do you have your schedule figured out yet or are you still kind of relishing in in the the fun of winning as you should be we're not relishing in the fun of winning. We have a phrase that's your next race. <laughs> so <laughs> yesterday, yesterday's gone. Um, there's more focus on right. What's the next part what's of next? the process? Yeah. Um, so are we going to Luxembourg seventy point three in a few weeks' time? Mm -hmm. And then we've got like a rough idea of what the rest of the race season might look like from there. But it's going to be more seventy point three focused, and like, we just kind of keep doing what we do really, and just keep open-minded to any opportunities that come up um not force the schedule and just see where that goes um probably towards like at some point i will do another full distance but i'm quite keen to just enjoy the process and just keep chipping away and looking at what more i can do each day just to continue to unlock more potential and just love it really see how it goes yeah well lydia and lauren thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your philosophy that feels a little fresh and unique in this sport. And, you know, we're, we'll continue to follow you as you chart your own path and follow your own philosophy and stay true to your own self and goals and your community. And we look forward to watching that in the years to come. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's been nice to have the opportunity to, um, yeah, to, to, to share uh, Lydia's journey, our journey and, um, that you know our, our philosophy might be a little we recognize it is a little bit different to 
some people so it's, it's nice to sort of share that so thank you for giving us that opportunity Thank you so much to Lydia and Lauren for coming on and spending time to tell us everything about their relationship and Lydia and her career. I think big things are still to come. So really looking forward to seeing that. And it made me think about the joint athlete coach podcasting situation. And Haley, would you ever go on a podcast with Matthew? Um, so I know this is like an interesting question. Cause I like, I haven't ever done an interview with Matthew. Um, I think our energy levels are quite different. Um, so I think that would be interesting. And also like, I, uh, you know, would have to like, definitely make sure that I like gave myself time to pause and let him talk because that's probably not my skill set when the two of us are both communicating. <laughs> so, but yeah, I do it. It would be like, <laughs> It would be, you know, like I picture Matthew is more of like a, a ritual podcast vibe, yeah. like a, a quieter, they're going to talk for two hours, but it's going to be pretty much in the same tone and it's just going to go pretty deep, but you don't even realize you're going that deep with them until you're like 90 minutes into it. And you're like, I guess I have to finish this now. Yeah. But then I think you would break up that vibe a little bit. Yeah, you're right. So I don't know. I don't know. It'd have to be someone special to do it for the book. Maybe it's yeah. me. Maybe I'm that special person to have you both on. How one about day. So, you and Hillary? Uh, we'll, we'll put it in our bag. Yeah, of you and Hillary. Um, <laughs> with uh, Hillary Biscay, whose birthday is also today. We should have had Hillary on. We could have wished her happy birthday as well. Oh yeah. Um, what do you think about the two of you being on a podcast together? So we haven't done a podcast together. I don't. Think think but we have done sometimes people um we've had like companies or groups hire us to do a, a motivational talk basically together um and so we have done that a handful of times together and it works really well we have uh really fine-tuned to that I have to say so I'm assuming doing a podcast with her would be pretty similar although because it is you know a lot of times we just tell stories and about some of the crazy things we've done and um that's pretty much what podcasting can be about so I would you know I think and her and I are we have the same birthday. We're very similar in a lot of ways. So I think our podcast vibe would be, I want to hear both uh, would be matching. You two on Rich Roll. Cause I think Rich's head would like explode. Like it would be like, ah. <laughs> also it would be done in like 37 minutes because it would be like, okay, I've told yeah. everything. Let's go. I got to go. Yeah. And I got to go pick up one of my, one of my and children. hundred miles. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> in my Ugg boots because she's done that not 100 miles in Ugg boots but she's done she has run in in her Uggs it's an interesting she leads an interesting life but that's for another day in another podcast and Haley I think that's all we have today I um look forward to listening to your title nine interview dropping today and I I think that's all I have for you this week okay Alyssa enjoy your birthday happy birthday and I'll talk to you next week thanks Haley bye You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.